Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 21. Verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Burkett notes, At the 22nd verse of the foregoing chapter, we find the Holy Ghost descending in a bodily shape like a dove upon our Savior. In this verse, we find the extraordinary effects and fruits of the Holy Ghost descent upon our Savior. He was filled with all the gifts and graces of the Blessed Spirit, to fit and furnish him for that ministerial service which he was now entering upon. But observable it is that before our Savior undertook the ministerial office, he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and there furiously assaulted with Satan's temptations. Temptation, meditation, and prayer, says Luther, make a minister. Great temptations from Satan do fit us for greater services for God. And whereas it is said that Christ was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, by the Spirit we must understand the Holy Spirit of God. For the devil, I think, is never called the Spirit, but is always a brand of reproach annexed, as the evil spirit, the unclean spirit, and the like. By his being led by the Spirit, St. Mark says he was drove by the Spirit. We may either understand a potent and efficacious persuasion without any violent motion, or else, as the learned Dr. Lightfoot thinks, Christ was bodily caught up by the Holy Spirit into the air and carried from Jordan, where he was baptized, into the wilderness, where he was tempted. God had put a great honor upon Christ at his baptism, declaring him to be his well-beloved son, in whom he was well-pleased. And the next news we hear is the devil assaulting him with his temptations. Learn thence that the more any are beloved of God and dignified with more eminent testimonies of his favor, so much the more is the devil enraged and maliciously bent against them. Verse 2. Being forty days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. Burkett notes, Observe here how the divine power upheld Christ's human nature without food. What Moses did at the giving of the law, Christ doth at the beginning of the gospel, namely, fast forty days and forty nights. Christ hereby intended our admiration rather than our imitation, or if our imitation, of the action only, not of the time. From this example of Christ, we learn that it is our duty by fasting and prayer to prepare ourselves for a conflict with our spiritual enemies. As Christ prepared himself by fasting to grapple with the tempter, so should we. Verse 3. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command the stone that it be made bread. Burkett notes, Observe here, 1. The occasion of the temptation, and 2. The temptation itself. The occasion of the temptation was our Savior's hunger and want of bread. Learn thence that when God suffers any of his children to fall into want, and to be straitened for outward things, Satan takes a mighty advantage thereupon to tempt and assault them. Observe 3. What it is he tempts our Savior to. It is to the sin of distrust, to call in question his sonship, if thou be the Son of God, and then to distrust God's providence and care, command that these stones be made bread. It is the grand policy of Satan, first to tempt the children of God to doubt of their adoption, next to distrust God's fatherly care and provision, and last of all, to use unwarrantable means to help themselves. Thus Satan dealt with Christ, and thus he deals with Christians. For to work a miracle at Satan's direction, 
was not a lawful mean of providing food for himself. Verse 4. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Burkett notes, Note first that though the devil abused scripture, yet Christ uses it. Good things are never the worse for being abused by Satan and his instruments. Note secondly, the weapon which our Savior made use of to vanquish Satan. It was the word of God. It is written, says Christ. Learn thence that the scripture, or the written word of God, is the only sure weapon wherewith to vanquish Satan and beat back all his fiery temptations. The scripture is God's armory, out of which all our weapons of war must be taken for managing our conflict with sin and Satan. Verses 5-8 through eight. And the devil, taking him up high unto a mountain, showed unto him the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power I will give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Burkett notes, Observe 1. The next sin which Satan tempts our Savior to is the sin of idolatry, even to worship the devil himself. O the impudent and foul spirit to desire thy Creator to worship thee, an apostate creature! Doubtless there is no sin so black and foul, so hard and monstrous, but the Christian may be tempted to it, when Christ himself was tempted to worship the tempter, even the devil himself. St. Matthew reads it, If thou wilt worship me, St. Luke, if thou wilt worship before me. From whence we may gather, that if to worship before the devil be to worship the devil, then to worship before an image is to worship the image. Dr. Lightfoot. Observe, too, the bait which Satan makes use of to allure our Savior to the sin of idolatry, representing to his eye and view all the glories of the world in a most inviting manner, and in a moment of time, that so he might affect him the more and prevail the sooner. Learn, thence, that the pomp and grandeur of the world is made use of by Satan as a dangerous snare to draw men into compliance with him in his temptations unto sin. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Observe 3. What an impudent liar and proud boaster the devil is. He was a liar from the beginning. All this I will give thee, for it is delivered unto me. An impudent untruth, for the domain over things of the world was never given to the angels, neither has the devil any power over the creatures, but by permission from God. The devil is a most impudent liar. He told the first lie, and by long practice has become a perfect master of the art of lying. Observe also the devil's boasting as well as lying. All this I will give thee, when he had not one foot on the ground to dispose of. Great boasters are for the most part great liars, and such boasters and liars are like the devil. Observe 4. How our Savior declares the true and only object of religious worship, namely God himself. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Religious worship is to be given to none of the creatures, neither to angels nor men, however excellent soever, but to God alone. We read of but two creatures that ever desired in Scripture to be worshipped with divine worship, namely the devil and Antichrist. But the command is preemptory, Thou shalt worship the Lord and him only. 
verses 9 through 13. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptations, he departed from him for a season. Burkett notes, observe here, one, the power which Satan, by God's permission, had over the body of our blessed Savior. He took him up and carried his body through the air, from the wilderness to Jerusalem, and there set him upon one of the pinnacles of the temple. Hence learn, one, that Satan, by God's permission, may have power over the bodies of men, yea, over the bodies of the best of men. Two, that this exercise of Satan's power over the bodies of men is no argument that such persons do not belong to God. Our Savior himself, who was dear to God, is yet left for a time in Satan's hands. But though Satan had a power to set him upon the pinnacle of the temple, yet he had no power to cast him down. Though Satan's malice be infinite, his power is limited and bounded. He cannot do all the mischief he would, and he shall not do all he can. Observe, too, the sin which Satan tempts Christ to, the sin of self-murder. Cast thyself down. Learn that self-murder is a sin which Christ himself was, and the best of his children may be, solicited and tempted to. Yet though Satan solicited Christ to the sin, he could not compel him to comply with the temptation. Thence note that how much earnestness and importunity soever Satan uses in pressing his temptation, he can only persuade, he cannot compel. He may entice, but cannot enforce. Observe 3. The argument which Satan uses to persuade Christ to the sin of self-murder. It's a scripture argument. He quotes a promise. He shall give his angels charge over thee. What a wonder is here to see the devil with a Bible under his arm and with a text of scripture in his mouth. Christ had alleged scripture before to Satan. Here Satan retorts scripture back again to Christ. It is written, says Christ. It is written, says Satan. Learn that Satan knows how to abuse the most excellent and comfortable scripture to the most hard and pernicious ends and purposes. He that had profanely touched the sacred body of Christ with his hand sticks not, presumptuously, to handle the Holy Scripture with his tongue. Observe 4. The text of the scripture which Satan makes use of. Psalm 91.11 He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. Where the doctrine is good, but the application bad. The doctrine is true, that God is pleased to employ his angels for the good of his servants, and particularly for their preservation in times of danger. But see how falsely the devil perverts, misapplies, and rests that sacred scripture. When God promises that his angels shall keep us, it is in all his ways, not in our own crooked paths. Learn that although the children of God have the promise of the guardianship of his holy angels, yet then only may they expect their protection when walking in the way of their duty. He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Observe lastly the issue of his combat. Satan is vanquished and departs from our Savior. St. Matthew says the devil left him, and angels came and ministered unto him. Satan is conquered and quits the field, teaching us that nothing like a vigorous resistance of temptation causes the tempter to flee from us. 
Satan is both a cowardly enemy and a conquered enemy. Resist him and he will run. Verses 14 through 21. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Burkett notes, Our blessed Savior, being thus fitted and prepared by his baptism and temptation for the execution of his ministerial office, he now enters upon the great work of preaching the gospel. And St. Luke here declares the first place he preached at, namely Nazareth and the first text he preached upon, Isaiah 61.1. Observe 1, the place where our Savior preached at. He bestowed his first sermon upon Nazareth, the place of his conception and education. For though Christ was born at Bethlehem, yet he was bred and brought up at Nazareth. There he had his poor but painful education, working on his father's trade, that of a carpenter. This prejudiced the Jews against him, who looked for a scepter, not an axe, in the hand of him that was born the king of the Jews. Our Savior's short and secret abode at Bethlehem, and his long and public living at Nazareth, occasioned him to be called Jesus of Nazareth. Yet some conceived it was a nickname fastened by the devil upon our Savior, that he might disguise the place of Christ's nativity, and leave the Jews at a greater loss concerning their Messiah. Sure it is that this name, Jesus of Nazareth, stuck upon our Savior all his life, and at his death was fixed by Pilate on his cross. Yea, after the ascension, such as believed on him were called the sect of the Nazarene, or the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Observe, too, the text which our Savior preached upon at Nazareth. He takes it out of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That is, God the Father hath poured forth his Holy Spirit without measure upon me, in all the gifts and graces of it, to fit and furnish me for the work of a mediator, and particularly to preach the gospel to the poor in spirit, and to such as are poor in outward condition also, if meekened and humbled with the sight and sense of their sins, to bind up the brokenhearted, that is, to comfort them with the glad tidings of the gospel, to preach deliverance to the captives, to let such sinners know who are slaves to sin and Satan that a deliverer is come if they be willing to be delivered by him, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, or to proclaim a spiritual jubilee in which God proffers pardon of sin and reconciliation with himself upon the terms of the gospel. Learn hence, one, that God stirreth up none to take upon them the office of the ministry whom he had not fitted and furnished with gifts for the regular discharge of it. 2. That Christ himself did not undertake the office of a mediator, 
but by the ordinance of God, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he hath sent me to preach the gospel. 3. That no creature, angel or man, could perform the office of mediator, but only Christ, who was consecrated to that office by an anointing from the Holy Spirit, without measure. The Spirit of the Lord hath anointed me. 4. That the preaching of the gospel is the great ordinance which Christ himself made use of, and recommended to his apostles and ministers for enlightening blind sinners, for comforting broken hearts, and for delivering captive souls from the slavery and dominion of sin and Satan. He has sent me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to publish deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind. What enemies, then, are they to the souls of men who have low and mean thoughts of this high and honorable ordinance of God? the preaching of the everlasting gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. Observe 3. The behavior of our Savior's auditors, the men of Nazareth, under his preaching. Their eyes were fixed and their minds intent upon him, and upon what was spoken by him. The eyes of all that were in the synagogue were fastened upon him, not closed with sleep, nor gazing about upon others, but fixed upon Christ the preacher. Fixing of the eye is a great help to the attention of the ear and the intention of the mind. A fastened eye is a mean to help us to a fixed heart, as a wandering eye is both a sign and a cause of a wandering heart. Oh, that our hearers would imitate our Savior's hearers under the word. They fastened their eyes upon him, as if they meant to hear with their eyes as well as with their ears. And yet we have cause to suspect that curiosity, rather than piety, caused their attention, seeing, as you will find, verse 29, that these very persons, who out of novelty were ready to eat his words, soon, out of cruelty, were ready to devour the speaker. For they thrust him out of the city, led him to the brow of the hill, and would have cast him down headlong. Our blessed Savior, what wonder is it that the person of thy ministers are despised, and their gospels and their doctrine neglected, when thou thyself, the first preacher of the gospel, and for thy first sermon at Nazareth, were thus ignominiously treated. Observe, lastly, how Christ conforms to the ceremonies of the Jewish doctrine, who, in honor of the law and the prophets, stood up when they read them, and, according to custom, sat down when they explained them. And although the synagogal worship was then laden with rules and ceremonies of human invention, and also the lives and manners both of priests and people were much corrupted, yet both our Savior and his disciples went to the synagogue as members of the Church of Nazareth, every Sabbath day, joining with them in the public worship, from whence we may reasonably infer that such Christians as do quietly and peaceably comply with the practice of the Church in whose communion they live, in the observation of such indifferent rites as are used by her, act most agreeably to our Savior's practice and example.